0: In this week's episode, I get to talk with Phil Weigel, the co-owner of CrossFit CLE, and Kara Barton, an occupational therapist with us at Fit for Function in Cleveland. And we talk a little bit about Phil's journey in CrossFit and endurance sports. So Phil's been in the CrossFit game for some time, has competed at a very high level, but recently has taken up endurance sports as a challenge. And so we talk about some of his integration of CrossFit training with endurance training, where those similarities and differences interact, and then how he is trying to maximize his training. So a lot of great topics here whether you're into crossfit or endurance sports as well as the specificity of training and, and kind of the challenges that come with that so hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the fit for tomorrow podcast
1: my belief on programming is do hard work and vary it enough that you don't get hurt like it doesn't need to be magical
0: that's probably it's, the truth it's, <laughs>
1: <I> mean, <laughs> it's simple end right podcast. just end it done it. so people people don't You don't want to
0: hear my thoughts on programming. No, I was actually listening to one this morning on programming. It was for hypertrophy and Mm -hmm. going to fail. It was the, the, so the conversation was how close to failure do you go? And the guy's argument was that if you stay two to four reps shy of failure, you won't get the fatigue that you would get if you went to failure. And so your recovery will be quicker. So that, that was his recommendation. It was kind of interesting
1: yeah but isn't that also a relative because what if what if the set to failure is a set of seven reps or a set of 72 reps i mean now we're talking about very different degrees that those two reps are measuring if you're leaning yep. on the table or you're doing them
0: so the, the he suggested i can't dr israel something i can't think of his name he suggested uh, uh, rep Mike range, Israel. yeah maybe a rep range between five and thirty uh, five five and thirty or five and <laughs> so under five would be pure strength right like yeah. which makes yeah. sense it's going to be a strength yeah. neural thing and then um his argument with if you went above 30 or 40 is you're just doing all those reps to get to a point where you'll fatigue so it's a waste of time kind of so to speak
1: yeah and then you become an endurance athlete right because more than 30 reps is endurance
0: right <laughs> i mean it's interesting it's
1: no interesting. i mean it's But but my, my point is like, if if I'm measuring a set of seven being complete fatigue or a set of 27 being complete fatigue, then those two reps mean a lot different in, in, in those scenarios, right? Because doing two more reps with what I can only do for seven and doing two more reps with what I can do for 27 is, is a, is a very different loading and a very different strain.
0: Right. So if the conversation was hypertrophy, what's better?
1: Um, well, I, I've never really done much hypertrophy work, but everything that I've, I've heard and read, um, especially from, from the people who've been on top of the bodybuilding world mm-hmm. is that kind of like 15 to 25 reps. Yeah. So I, w- I will say that does sound like it's very much in that ballpark. Um, yeah, these guys are body,
0: bodybuilder people. Yeah, that's
1: there. Yeah. Five seems way low, but, I agree. but um, yeah. Yeah, 15 to 25 reps and going to complete failure. Is what? Is what? Well, what the people who stand on the best of of that business say, but yeah. they also are juiced to the tits. so. That's
0: the that's the rub, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, and that makes sense if you're arguing the, the repeatability and the recovery of it because without without that increase in testosterone, your recovery is a different animal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, well send me uh send me a link to that now i want to i want to hear that <laughs>
0: <box>. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty i mean it was actually pretty interesting um, yeah like i said they're yeah, coming from a, a bodybuilding perspective perspective well but.
1: and that's the thing like that that's so specific when you're talking about hypertrophy of specific muscle groups and how you have to isolate them and do that this is general fitness i mean move around vary your stuff mm-hmm. do it at the highest intensity that's reasonable and safe and recover reasonably, and you, you get better, and you stay fit, and you stay well. It's right. not rocket science.
0: Different beast. Yeah. Um, I I wonder if you could combine the theories. Like, could you do a day or three, you know, two days a week of functional fitness, two days a week of bodybuilding, and would that maximize your progress so that you get a little bit of both worlds, or would it be a disaster because you don't get? Enough progress in either side.
2: I th- a lot. I feel like a lot of crossfit gyms actually do that.
1: I, th- I think it has its. its a lot it's, do. Oh, uh, well, I've, well,
2: I've. I should say a group of them do.
1: Yeah, it's it definitely gotten a lot more popular in the competition scene, um, but there's also the note that in the competition scene, there's a lot more vanity and a lot more Instagram posting. So you got to have big biceps. Well to get the likes.
2: Yes and, and no, <laughs> I think a lot of people, a lot even a lot of your members join CrossFit because they want to look better.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but
2: and therefore gyms are starting to program that way. And a lot yeah,
1: of you're big, saying standard gyms, so you're saying it more.
2: in CrossFit gyms too. Yeah,
1: like, uh, standard CrossFit Yeah, gym, yeah. So but even
2: general. a lot of the big CrossFit programmers are coming out with like mayhem, they're coming out with like bodybuilding programming now.
1: Yeah, a competition based platform. Yeah, was my point.
2: Yeah,
1: where you're gonna get the people who want to be on Instagram. Yeah. Um, So do you think
0: it's you think it's aesthetics or do you think it's like functional?
2: No,
1: there's there is functionality, but to a fairly limited degree. Um, Mm. From what I've found with working with people, you you don't need to get bigger to get stronger. Most of the time, muscles are just poorly conditioned to do any work, and you can very quickly get them to adapt the cardiovascular strain. And to work with that, their, their new constraints around oxygen, uh, under, under stress and load. And also you can, at the same time, just stepping into the weight zone, you can, you can increase the capacity to move large loads without, without making a huge change in muscle size. Yeah. No, um, I,
0: I agree with you. I don't think hypertrophy to some degree, I'm sure it does, but by and to, large to a
1: degree, like if I want to squat 500 pounds, I got to get bigger. But I don't want to squat 500 pounds. I'm okay squatting 360 and being able to run right. and do the other thing. So, once you get into that, I got to be bigger to do a thing. Well, you're going to lose in other aspects. And so that's that, real specific. for most people, it's more of I need to change the other parts of my body than I need to make my muscles be big. Right. You know, that's most of what fitness seems to be from people coming in. Yeah. Um, in my experience.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about it from the metabolic side. Like uh I've been doing a ton of reading on the insulin resistance stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they're they're talking about taking muscles to failure to get into that mitochondrial activation and that kind of stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. that's that's what's led me down this kind of looking at it. Um are there metabolic for somebody with metabolic dysfunction, are there benefits? Like if you have insulin resistance, if you are overweight, if you're doing that kind of stuff, what's yeah, the difference between?
1: you'd have to do some very specific study on that to to understand that. Well,
0: that's yeah. I'm interested. That'd be fascinating
2: to do. Chances are somebody who falls in that group is not doing They're not in the gym. Mm. So doing a little bit of exercise is going to be beneficial.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, anything, anything's going to work, but if you like,
1: is it more optimal?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you
1: can you Tis, tweak it, make it perfect?
0: Yeah. It is the season for the random person to walk in. That's never been in a gym and, and tries to do yeah. a gym. What's yeah. the, what's the workout for them? That's like, I think if you're skipping the functional fitness side, that's a disservice, right? If you're just doing a bodybuild split. Yeah. Um, but if there's advantages to improve the way they utilize energy, well, it's interesting. Yeah interesting
1: yeah i would have to understand those pathways to a much greater degree to have a lot of confidence putting that as a as a block in the program yeah um because right now i know that strength training works not specifically hydro or hypertrophy training but um training to optimize the amount of force that a muscle can put out so it's shorter sets um longer rest between them you know seven sets of three or five with three minute breaks between them enough time to recover and really move heavy loads. Um, but not go to complete failure. Once you start going to complete failure on a regular basis, then you also start accruing a lot of risk as far as how you move the joint itself. Right. If I, if I do back squats to failure, that's, that's not a good idea. A leg press to failure is a different thing, but I don't have a leg press machine. Right. You know? Um, so that, that's another place where I'd have to, have to be careful about what we used on it.
0: Yeah. And then what's the weekly consequence of taking a back squat to failure? Like that's going to shoot your, your system's going to be fried for seven days.
1: The, the CNS for sure. That's what I mean. mean, Yeah. Like, and and that's where I think we're talking about different things. Bodybuilders isolate. They do Mm -hmm. a single muscle group for a specific purpose. We're using the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. A power clean. I can't tell you what it uses all of you if you do it right right it's just it's too complex to say let's isolate and fail at this and yeah i mean i i just think the functionality of, of broad movement is a little bit a little bit too big for that type of isolation style training but it would be really interesting to see if it actually makes a notable change in how the metabolic pathway is followed
0: yeah the the theory i believe and, and i don't I don't, I don't have this fully understood as well, but the theory is that there's non insulin specific, uh, glucose receptors in the muscle and exercise specifically things that activate the mitochondria trigger that. So mm-hmm. the, the lower intensity stuff, you can start to absorb glucose without needing insulin. So even somebody that is having issues with insulin production or insulin resistance can still get glucose out of their bloodstream effectively. So they're using these, the exercise to basically replace insulin sensitivity. Hmm.
1: Um, And that, that sounds, yeah, that sounds really fascinating.
0: It's, it's intriguing, but
1: also, but but also that sounds like a combined nutritionist and like an approach for three people to be doing at once with a single client. Yeah. No, it's, Self, trying to make somebody better
2: <laughs> and, and Nick you're saying that's only at lower intensity
0: I think there I think most of the stuff I've done is there it's the cardio is done at what they call like zone two cardio so where you're not putting you're not getting lactate accumulation um, yeah. and then the resistance training um, you know the research is all over the place but the people talking about it are talking about taking the muscle towards a, a failure state with longer reps and stuff
1: but not more than 30.
2: Well, then well 10, this, 10, 10, uh, this was a different comment.
0: This was, this was, not had nothing to do with insulin. This was just guys talking about hypertrophy, but, um,
2: uh, Oh,
1: so those are.
0: The bodybuilder guys were not talking about insulin. I'm, I found the bodybuilder guys. Cause I'm looking at this rep to failure stuff, And
1: but the rep to failure stuff has potential benefit on the metabolic the metabolics.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. Is that's that okay? my, that's my, that's personal curiosity. That's not, uh,
1: well, and so I wonder how do you have to reach full failure? Because if you look at people doing CrossFit workouts, you get close all the time, I, right? Right. So I don't. I wonder where that line is because built into that intensity, if I give you forty handstand push-ups, you hit a wall at twenty-five, and you're now done. you're trickling your way through, but you still have that ridiculously high heart rate. You're you're building uh, a ton of fatigue in those muscles, and and you're you're still working through that that kind of near failure zone so i wonder i wonder what kind of turnover benefit that has
0: right so i mean if you're just looking at it from an energy metabolism standpoint is there a difference between a seven minute you know amrap that smokes you compared to an hour in the kind of doing bodybuilding splits what's the difference obviously i think you're talking different energy systems but what would happen from insulin, blood glucose, that kind of stuff.
1: We need to get somebody all stuck up with, with uh, constant monitors so we can just,
0: yeah, I, I wore one for a while. I had one on for yeah. a couple of months, but I've the problem is yeah. The problem is that it doesn't tell you what your insulin is doing.
1: I, I know. So it just does glucose.
0: Right. But what you don't know is how much insulin you're dumping to maintain is, that glucose yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. is what your response is to the glucose. Yeah. Right. We're so all I bum. learned
0: is I, I don't have diabetes, yeah. right? I don't have diabetes. <laughs> I can keep it. I can keep it here. Well,
2: that's
1: good. good job. But, but
0: I don't know if I'm on the path, right? I don't know yeah. where you're at on the path to diabetes. So, yeah. uh, it, yeah, it's interesting. Can
2: we put Josh through some, uh, Testing once he gets his insulin pump, <laughs> you have to pre-fill those with insulin. You have to guess so, how much insulin, um, like he would be taking in a day. I wonder if we just start putting less and less insulin in, it. <laughs> We'll see if he's still alive at the end of the day. Did I talk to you about <laughs> that?
0: Did I talk to you about that cycling podcast? The San Indigo? No. He he has a cycling group. They're all type one diabetics.
2: Oh, and, cool.
0: And one guy on that group, I think his insulin's down to next to nothing. He does three hours of zone two a day. And he's just able to What's, maximize that non-insulin dependent uptake.
2: What I was going to, um, kind of add, I, I, cause I know for Josh, if he starts doing, like say like he takes like a bit off of working out, he starts doing CrossFit again. His, like his blood sugars will just start dropping at you know, insane. All, insane, like just like in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, it takes about a week or so to start regulating again. If he goes and does more of bodybuilding splits, we did that. Um, what was that fall or so? Um, we were doing that about four times a week. Um, that didn't happen, which was really interesting.
0: They, um, they they talked about that mechanism on that podcast, and um, I, I don't remember the details.
1: Is it just because the muscle glycogen is so depleted it needs to dump back in it? Does it in the middle of the night?
0: It has something to do with that. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: That's something that I can't remember exactly how it, the details of it.
2: And, and actually, kept, so to this week, he started adding endurance stuff back in. Let's see, Monday, he just swam for a half hour and during swimming, his blood sugar did drop, um, but did not drop after, after, um, does, during the day or at night. Does and he and- go
0: up? Does he go up during a CrossFit style workout? Like, does he release blood- enough glycogen that his blood sugar goes up during CrossFit?
2: No.
0: So I if don't I rem- not, that, not that I'm aware yeah. of. I he's- think to to what Phil was saying, if I remember correctly, the argument was the high intensity stuff you mobilize a lot of glucose, and then you have to inject insulin to get that glucose back down, but it's too much because you got this sensitivity thing going on, and then it tanks.
2: No, typically he's tanking.
0: Yeah. It was something uh, along those lines. I can't remember the exact.
2: Yeah, but I, yesterday he biked. You know, I, I, I mean, I should take a look at his heart rate. My guess would be zone two because he did it for an hour. He's he's not able to sustain that at anything above zone two. Um, he didn't. His blood sugar stayed very constant through the day, and then tomorrow's running, I believe, for an hour. Same thing. He won't be able to do that more than the zone two. Hmm. So oh, I, you know, we'll see. Really we'll
0: see what happens. Yeah, interesting. Ah, just curiosity. Yeah. Now you can see
2: the logo. Oh goodness! <laughs> By the end of the podcast, he's gonna have his t-shirt off.
0: <laughs> yeah. any, any excuse.
2: That yeah, that picture that awesome. we. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, that, that picture no, we posted. <laughs> The, the NRT one that got posted of Kara cupping your legs and your shirts off. Like if we're working on if that was a lab, the leg lab, why was your shirt off?
1: <laughs> I do what I'm told. <laughs> so I feel like That's I
2: have a real injury. All right, take your shirt off. I guess we'll uh, uh, take a look at it.
0: <laughs> I was trying to figure that out. I was like, why is
2: this (laughs) true? Good for the gram. My shoes were off for some reason. I mean, there was... (laughs) You're getting comfortable.
0: Yeah. So if we just switch that to overtrain, like, I guess the question, if we're talking about energy systems, right? From this metabolic stuff anyway. um, Yeah. How do you coordinate your endurance work with CrossFit work?
1: Poorly. Um, <laughs> for the most part, I've found that I just kind of segment them out and I'm either doing one pretty, pretty consistently or I'm doing the other. Um, so currently I'm trying to mesh the two a little bit more effectively because I want to maintain general fitness a little bit better this year as I still keep building that endurance space. Um, but it I get caught up in how much time I have to spend on my feet, especially because my events are, are long distance rucks, Um, and there's no substitute for having 40 pounds on your back and just having those foot strikes. And that's the biggest issue for me in racing is I'm going to pound my feet against that pavement or the dirt, whatever the surface is for just hours and hours and hours. And if my joints aren't conditioned for that impact, then I have a miserable time very quickly. And it's, and it's just incredibly hard to grit your way through a race when all of your joints hurt within the first couple hours. So for me, it's getting in a lot of longer distance rucks. Um, for instance, in preparation for, uh, for a 15th, well, I was prepping for a hundred miler um, and I ended up stopping at 50 this year in preparation for that. I worked my well, excuse me. I worked my way all the way up to a marathon um, with 40 pounds on my back. And in that week that I did that marathon, I also did another three days over 10 miles. So in a week I rucked, I rucked more than the equivalent of what I ended up racing. Um, I think I was at like 75 miles that week and realistically, I wanted to be at a hundred miles that week to be better prepped to go into a hundred mile race. But you think about the time that takes I'm averaging 13 to 15 miles an hour, depending on terrain. I mean, you go for a marathon at that pace, you're looking at five to six hours. And it's just, I had a lot of trouble getting in my volume on my feet and being able to do anything else. Um, so this year I'm trying to figure out how do I train my, my big sets, my endurance days, um, where I have to do two to seven hours of, of endurance um, steady sort of work. And also do my high intensity days and I'm doing a better job at it, but it's just, I have to, I have to make a deliberate effort to do it. I, right now I'm kind of scheduling a day with Daryl where, where I do conditioning with him. So like yesterday we did hands, or two days ago we did handstand pushups and then a high intensity workout for 15 minutes. Um, then when I got home,
0: Metcon style.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wall ball shots, burby box overs. Um, nothing too heavy, but a lot of intensity for a 15 minute window. Mm -hmm. And then when I got home, I did a hero workout, um, 45 minute, just steady grind of body weight movement, lower intensity, a lot more duration and repetition. Um, so I got in kind of both sides of the spectrum to a minor degree because I didn't do a giant weightlifting day. I didn't pick up a bunch of really heavy stuff. And I also didn't do a four hour window. So I got a little bit of both and that's kind of how I'm trying to balance it right now. If I have a day where I have to do a lot of one thing, I'm probably not going to do much of the other, if at all. Um, or I'm going to have days where I have kind of a, a light balance of the two.
0: How's your uh, but How's your body handling that? Like
1: at first, terribly. The first couple of CrossFit workouts are just are just brutal because the conditioning of my muscles currently, um, especially my legs, is small range of motion. If you think about running, it is not a very big, especially. Rucking hiking, more or yeah. less. It's really small steps. I'm not doing big giant strides. There's no deep hip range of motion, right? It's it's pretty limited range of motion. So then when I go to do a wall ball shot um or some back squats, I can tell that my muscles are not used to going through that range with load. And I get really sore um for the first two weeks of doing something like that before before my body is okay with doing the high intensity and those aggressive reps. Um, I never really have a problem with the endurance with the long, steady stuff, Mm -hmm. except for if I haven't done any of it, and then I go right into it and do a 10 miler, I'll, I'll feel the pain in the joints. Um, But muscle wise, endurance doesn't bother me at all. Um, The longer stuff doesn't, it's, it's just joint discomfort. Um, That kind of goes for the bike too. When, when we do long stuff on the bike, man, you got to – sometimes you just have a bad day and, and, and stuff's going wrong with your back. Well, mostly your bike.
2: Or, or your bike.
1: <laughs> mostly that's because I, I deadlifted heavy and then got on the bike.
2: They <laughs> decided to cross it for the first time a week before a 100-mile race. and The whole time I had to listen to him about his, his back hurting. I was like, ah.
1: <laughs> I, I felt that I was pretty well recovered from that. I felt fine. But then I got on the bike and things were too stiff. Um, but typically, I think on the it was stiffer for of... both.
0: Both, yeah, I just yeah,
1: yeah. Because I definitely was missing range of motion, and the muscles felt okay, but they they would have still been fatigued because mm-hmm. I had lifted pretty heavy three days earlier, and I hadn't been doing a lot of heavy deadlifting. So, I mean, that was a specific mistake that I made before a race. But very often in bike races, it'll come down to whether or not my knees are okay with continuing to put out that amount of a strain for another hour. And if I've been biking enough, they're okay. If I haven't, then it's kind of like that, that rucking idea where you've got all those foot strikes, you have to be conditioned to take that impact again and again.
0: And when you say knees, you're talking like, it feels like joint, joint
1: pain. Um,
0: like in the knee joint,
1: it's a tracking issue. I think, um, I I end up going a little bit, uh, I flare out a little bit with my left knee. So my, that same left knee nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, yep, exactly. The IT band's tight and it pulls it out and the VMO gets pissed off because it's fighting it the other way. And, and then I end up with a hot knee and it develops in different spots. Most of the time it's kind of on that uh, inside of that patellar shelf um, or not patellar, um, tibial shelf um, kind of inside that patella or to the medial side of the patella, if you will. Yeah. Um, I don't normally get pain on the outside of the knee But the, the inside of that left knee is still always a little bit of a thorn in my side.
0: Yeah. I've been, again, I've been watching more content on the bodybuilder side. And the one thing that I think is interesting is they do a lot of, uh, different angled lifts, right. To try to target, get different parts of the muscle to, to take the force. Right. Yeah. And I think it brings up, like, you see this knees over toes guy on YouTube talking about changing knee positions and all this kind of stuff. And it brings up an interesting question or theoretical thought like we spend so much time from a performance standpoint like when you squat or you deadlift you want your back in this position your knee in this position your foot in this position because that's the best position to do the lift yeah does it make us the most durable like could you spend time training training that knee in or knee out with a controlled environment controlled force (laughs) all that kind of stuff to make those different angles stronger um, so that when you, when you start to fatigue, you don't end up in a bad spot.
1: So I think definitely, yes. Um, and, and one of the ways that we kind of go about that in, in our, uh, program with CrossFit is to use more free weight, right. To add, to add the ability of the weight to change directions so that you have to work to stabilize it. So we're not necessarily approaching a press from a new angle, but we're adding, uh, we're adding some instability to the press to force muscles to adapt to do a better job of holding it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like doing a bottoms up kettlebell press is significantly harder in terms of the stabilization than doing a standard dumbbell press. Right. Um, So we try to work that in a little bit, but it's definitely not as, we're not targeting a specific angle of a muscle in order to do a specific bit of hypertrophy. But I think that has a, a lot of benefit for the rehab setting. Um, I think it's just a little bit too specific for the general program that we have. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been looking at it from our right on the rehab side of, yeah, look, if your VMO is that weak, we got to, you know, we got to put you in positions where maybe it gets stronger and then also figure out what's <laughs> happening at the hip or the foot that you're never going to that spot in the first place. Like I think, you know, that obviously it opens a whole can of worms. Um, yeah. but it, I mean, it's interesting, right. It's an interesting type of, uh, if somebody's so like say they've been walking a certain way for you know ten years, and you correct that hip position, but there's so much atrophy in the quad or it's not weak or the motor pattern's not there. How do you actually get them to utilize that new pattern? Right? Um, do you actually need specific hypertrophy work to get it?
1: Um, I think it's, a, it's an a,
0: interesting thought.
1: So yeah, if the discrepancy is big enough, then I'd say yeah, definitely. Um,
0: you know, cause we can see obviously with manual therapy and stuff, you see these changes of, you know, your knee goes this far now it goes, you know, twice as far, but can yeah. you, what do you need to hold that? Like, yeah. is it,
1: how do you make that stay?
0: And so that you actually have the ability to, to utilize that range of motion um, mm-hmm. and do what's, what's the. I think is in the PT world. It's always like, oh, do three sets of ten, or do a couple sets till it gets a little tired. Like, what is the actual conditioning range? Like, can we get better at training that range of motion? Um, Because, like you're saying with a bike, it's so specific. Like, mm-hmm. nothing, there's 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 less cry, carryover between movements than I would like to believe. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, being being a hell of a CrossFitter isn't going to necessarily translate to the to some degree, it's going to translate to the bike, but you're not going to be the best cyclist, right? Like it's nice. the specificity. It's so. For one,
1: crazy. for one, you'll be way too heavy. <laughs> <tell you> that <laughs>
0: Right. I mean, like this is crazy. So the yeah. next thing, like, I think this, uh, to tie into kind of what you're doing with CrossFit in the bike, how, um, how do you pick, like, what is your goal for the year? And then how do you tr- train, that way. Um, so I guess where I'm, I'm trying to lead this to is specializing in a performance thing versus just general fitness.
1: So you're asking me a question that leads me into things that I'm going to do rather than things that I have done. Because for the last okay. two years, I've really just approached this as general base building. Um, that's in part, that's part of what Murph became doing it for a year was just building a base of being ready to, to do monotonous things and not have a problem with them. Also mm-hmm. built a base of a lot of running with weight, uh, a lot of push ups, pull-ups and squats, just, you know, functional movements that humans need to do. You got to be able to run and climb up the tree. And that kind of leads you into being able to do a lot of that stuff. Um, this year I have a lot of bike races, uh, that, that were set up for. So tick, Um, Kara and I ride a tandem bike and we've got a 125 miler that has 14,000 feet of elevation in it. And that is going to be the hardest bike thing I've ever done. Um, it's, it's a lot.
0: Did you guys do a hundred earlier this year?
1: We did a hundred, but it was flatter. flatter. Yeah. It was up in Michigan. This is in central Ohio and it's just Hills. It's just Mm -hmm. roly little Hills. Um, and a lot of them for a long time. I'm taking
2: off of work that week. I think I'm already going to be injured.
1: <laughs> so for this year, I'd say I have some more specific, um, some more specific things. Like I know that race is going to be incredibly difficult and I have to prepare more diligently on a bike.
0: Because so because Kara's not going to prepare, I have to be more prepared. <laughs> hey, I
2: <definitely> much <laughs> more than him. She, she always is more prepared than me. <laughs> well, Bike prepared. I'm, yeah, she's always more. <laughs> she's always more bike prepared. Than I, am.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be safe to say I come in with a better level of general fitness. Okay. Uh-huh. And then between the two of us, we both have plenty of problems on the day because <laughs> shit just it's gonna go south at some point when you're on a bike for. I mean that race. I'm thinking that's probably gonna be close to 15 hours for us. Yeah, probably. And yeah, so think about it. Think about just sitting now. Sitting. I don't want to be in a car for 15 skateboard. hours. Yeah. Now sitting on an uncomfortable saddle and pedaling up and down hills. So
2: and we have to agree on the same cadence, and we have to. So it's like and like it's a lot easier on your own bike because you can mess around, you can stand up, you can do all sorts of stuff. But we have to come to some sort of central agreement on what
1: we're doing. doing. (laughs) (laughs) So so this year I I'm going to be scheduling out um, a day a week where I'm specifically training a bike. For longer periods to most of it honestly is just getting my pedal right if i if i don't pedal right then i'm going to have knee problems if i'm not used to sitting on the saddle i'm going to have groin problems and that's going to lead to knee problems and back problems so it's just kind of giving yourself enough exposure to the thing uh to at least get through it in a functional manner and not limp across that finish line and that's that's such a big race nick i think that That's my goal is to, is to cross that line well, rather than to do what I, I know how to do because I can, I've done it plenty of times, but I'm, I'm getting tired of limping across finish lines because, because I just, (laughs) I just went for it and I thought, yeah, it's probably true. And I do have enough fitness to get through this and it's going to become a grid issue rather than can I perform well. And I'm trying to kind of turn that page over and work on being better prepared to perform at specific things and in this case i think it really just comes down to me being on the on a bike about four hours a week because traditionally i'm on a bike maybe 30 minutes a week um and that's and that's just and you don't have to buy that's little and that's, that's, that's
0: less that's less than i thought you were gonna say
1: well and that's and that's the what, thing, would, I, what would
0: somebody just training cycling like
1: only ride a bike yeah,
0: yeah they, but well, how many hours a week are they putting in they're putting in
1: Four to nine. We know people who ride bikes nine hours a week at He's least. Like, yeah. Maybe yeah, I was 12. Thinking, I was
0: thinking I it might mean, be more than
1: that. Yeah. Some people like our cycling teammates because we are on a cycling team, <laughs> with people who actually cycle all the time, they right. basically just live on their bikes. If they're doing any conditioning, it's bike-based. They yeah. might do a tiny bit of, of lifting or or body movement yeah. to try to have a stronger core, um, and little things that go into helping them on the bike, but 90% of their times on the bike.
2: Yeah, in the winter time, you'll see more cyclists maybe twice a week do some sort of yeah. uh, squatting or kettlebell slash core work, but as soon as it slightly gets warmer out, they're stopping mm-hmm. that again.
1: So, and neither of us is trying to be the best cyclist, right, we're, we're trying to get through what are really aggressive races on a tandem bike and, and just have a good time doing it basically, because it's, it's a miserable thing. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you can't enjoy yourself, it's, you don't do it. Yeah. But, but a lot of the people who are competing in cycling, I mean, they're, they're competing. It's kind of different than how we're approaching these events. And also the same with how I rock, like I'm doing a 50 mile race against people who are 80 pounds lighter than me and not carrying 25 pounds on their back. I'm not competing against them. I'm out there to try to do my thing, which is complete a large task with high difficulty and high monotony in a respectable time or whatever it is for that event or just meet a time cap. I mean, sometimes I literally set my ruck weight to see if I can finish a race or get cut.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we just signed up for our first race for this year, which is in is that is that April? Or I think March? it's end of April. End of April. Yeah. And I hope so, the, <laughs> And we, we asked if we could bring it to bring the tandem. The response um, that that guy gave is, as well, as well as many others that have done it in the past. Many other organizers have responded to us in the past. Is like, well, you you can totally bring it, but you're definitely going to be the first tandem team to <laughs> come out and do this. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah,
1: everyone thinks we're nuts, and they're not wrong.
0: <laughs> I Yeah, I I don't know how or why you've decided to do that, but it's interesting.
2: Well, the best part, we almost had... Because um, misery <laughs> loves comedy. That yeah, yeah. Uh, when we went out to Barry Bay in the 62-miler division, there was actually, what... There's like 14 tandems, like I which, think it was more than that.
1: But there was a lot. There was yeah. a lot
2: of tandems, like which it was just a funny amount of tandems, really. Yeah. But then, of course, we emailed the guy and said, "Can we do the 107 miler?" <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> yeah, he
1: told us we wouldn't get any prize, but we could do it. We did the first tandem to do it, so
0: I did. There you go. Yeah. Might as well be
1: the first.
2: <laughs> yeah. The first or last. So
1: you so, saw so. it. I think that answered your question more or less. Well,
2: I, I know personally, because um, like you know Phil, said I typically ride my bike more than he does, I at this point in my life, because I, I would say in prior years, um, and I think this was is more this part is more of a personality trait of I would become a little bit more focused on one specific um, sport, so I would do that sport more often, whereas now I am trying to blend, um, cycling and weightlifting better. So, you know, ideally I would, I'm going to up most, I'm not signed up yet, but I plan on lifting at the American open in March, but then I, with that in mind, I need to be also ready by June to go do um, Same the bump bottom, which is the 125 miler. Um, but then all, we also then had have that race at the end of April. Yeah. So pers- I, I typically alternate, like, um, if I'm, I, you know, weightlifting, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then I'm on my bike, um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, but of course life happens too. So a lot of times I end up having to double up on Saturday, but I'll weightlift first before I go ride my bike. So that, because I'd rather be tired going into a bike ride than tired going into weightlifting. Cause at the end of the day, I'm going to be tired during the race and I still need to be able to ride my bike. Yeah.
0: I mean, you couldn't be two different extremes of the energy demands, like weightlifting versus cycling, like two totally separate challenges. Did you guys do that on purpose? No. Like from a preparedness stand, like a general fitness preparedness.
2: Like, are you asking, did I pick cycling and weightlifting on purpose?
1: Yeah, I like, she did because she, she's afraid of CrossFit.
2: I was like, oh, I don't really want to do CrossFit. <laughs> wow. No, I, um, I've been riding bikes for a while. Um, it's probably been, I don't know, what, nine years now? Yeah. I um, to, started riding in college. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to only race road. And after, collegiate cycling ended I that's when I first started CrossFit because I was finishing up like clinical rotations and needed to meet somebody in small town West Virginia where they had placed me so I joined my first CrossFit gym and I really it was I think it was a newbie mindset like I had a great engine because I had you know been doing glide cycling. I could do any crossfit workout for a long period of time. And I was you know I had my um, I was generally stronger than most females my age uh, because I you know did weightlift a lot. Um, came from a personal training background. and I found sort of a, I'd never had done something like Olympic weightlifting before. So, in that CrossFit gym, had a weightlifting club, and I dropped in for the first time. I was like, oh, I really like this. This is very new to me.
1: So, you were you were attracted to the opposite.
2: Sorry. Yeah, I was. I like the the difficulty of it because it was something I'd never done before. I'd come from more of like the bodybuilding mindset of, you know, today I'm going to do back and buys, tomorrow I'm going to do legs, then I'm going to do chest and tries. And yeah. I never just, you know. I never had tried to do a snatch before.
0: Yeah. I, the skill of the lift is fun, right? Cause it's so not like you're learning a new thing. Yeah. yeah. Like that skill acquisition piece, but from a training standpoint, like there can't be any Olympic weightlifters that ride a bike as much as you guys and vice versa.
2: Yeah. I definitely, when I first started doing weightlifting, I stopped riding my bike as often. Um, and. Focus much more on weightlifting, and at that point, I was weightlifting five times a week. And part of that was also I was moving around a lot at that point in my life. So I moved to Cleveland, moved back to West Virginia, I moved back to Cleveland. Didn't when when I moved up to Cleveland, didn't know a whole lot of folks um, who were into bikes, and until I met Phil, and um, and he had just started getting into bikes.
0: So now you're and on then, a tandem.
2: Now makes we're on a tandem. Makes, sense. makes perfect. <laughs> I had, sense. I knew one,
1: progression.
2: Yeah, a team that I used to be on in West Virginia, there just so happened to be a teammate that lived in Canton. Um, So when I moved up, like we had reconnected and we would ride, but same, you know, we don't, we don't, it's not like we live down the street from each other. So we couldn't ride all the time together, but. um, What do you
0: think are the advantages of both? Like, do you, what, what advantages do you think you find in your cycling because of the, your weightlifting background and CrossFit background? And then vice you know, the other way around, do you think there's advantages to your cycling on your CrossFit performance or do you think it's two separate?
2: There's definitely strength advantages. Um, I, I found, I think a, a much bigger part of it is more of a mental strength component. What do you mean? So, and I, and I, I find this more with, you know, maybe it, it, probably more often cyclocross, um, but also even in gravel, if like a, if you're doing a more difficult climb of the, the mental side of things of being able to finish it and have wrapping your mind about over around that, because there's, yeah. I mean, there's nothing, nothing easy about, you know training for weightlifting you know m- m- most of weightlifting is, is a mental game as well
1: so are you saying that the the extreme exertion you experience in in maximal effort lifting mm-hmm. gives you confidence when you have a minor exertion that lasts a long time yes okay
0: do you think that's physiologic like i would see a, like i think crossfitters are probably very good at recovering quickly like yeah clearing lactate like because you're going to build lactate during those intense bursts and then yeah you have to get good at clearing that and recovering for the next piece of the workout mm-hmm. that has to carry over to the bike wouldn't it i mean especially when you're yes. pushing certain
2: yeah.
1: so i think it certainly can i think i think i think the most effective place that i see it is in cyclocross um because the, well, my personal performance, I can see how it carries over. I'm, I'm okay at cross because it's a short window. It's a, it's an hour-long sport on the long end. So that is a, that is an area close. where I can do intervals for an hour and have an extremely high intensity. And like you said, I have a pretty good adaptation to clear lactic acid because of how we work, because of the high-intensity interval sets, the, the, the high-volume sets that take you to, very close to fatigue and give a lot of – that lactic acid dumped the muscles. Then um, you have to work through that as you continue to do work. So that, that blends really well for cyclocross in my experience. Um, I haven't found that I'm good at the, at the, <laughs> the real endurance stuff. Um, once we start talking like five, six, 10 hour races, then I don't think that the carryover is as great. I think it's much more dependent on how much time you've spent at 140 beats a minute, tapping it out for five hours. It's about the, About that kind of accumulated um conditioning to the strain that you're going to be working with for a long period of time. Yeah, because the tendency is to to fly out the gate, right? I mean, I'm I'm used to I'm used to CrossFit workouts where it's you start hot and you stay hot and it's a Mm -hmm. seven-minute workout. Well, you don't want to start a seven-hour race like that. You have to have a much more deliberate approach um, and you have to have a plan for how hard you're pushing it so that you can maintain that push. Um, that's something you only get to understand through experience and, and you get really humbled your first couple of events because you don't understand your pacing and you go out and you just blow yourself up and
2: I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, you have. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is knowing that you're about to be uncomfortable for the next, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours and just being okay with it.
1: And and that part, I don't know how much CrossFit helps with that. I think I think you're just kind of generally good at that, better than a lot of people are. Um, I
2: love monotony. I,
1: <laughs> I have, I've worked specifically on being better at it. Right. Um, I mean, doing doing Murph for a year and, and trying to work myself into a state of making that normal rather than monotonous was was a large part of an exercise and being okay with another five hours on the bike yeah being okay tapping it out even though you're uncomfortable and you want to stop and you probably should but you're not going to um so i don't know how much of that is from crossfit i don't think that made me mentally weak but i think i've done a lot more effective job with a different discipline uh to build that mental stick to and that grit
0: So, so Kara mentioned that she took up weightlifting because it was new. Like it was a new thing. It was whatever. It was fun. Do you, Phil, do you think you're into this endurance thing because it's new, it's different? Or do you think it's, uh, you mentioned building a base. Like, do you think it's building the best human or do you think it's like, Hey, this is a new challenge you're trying to take on. Like, where are you at on that?
1: Um, both. I think, I think even more than that, Nick, my idea is that it's old. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a new style of training for me specifically, mm-hmm. but it's the oldest thing in the book. I mean, what did humans have to do forever? They had to be able to move themselves long distances. They had to adapt to the environment. Sometimes that meant you got to go 40 miles to go find food. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's been the biggest draw for me is, is regaining a base level of, of human ability. That's kind of been lost by the ease of our world. Right. I don't have to, I don't have to run to Cleveland every day. I get in my car and I drive 35 miles. Mm-hmm. Well, like that's something I should be capable of doing if I have to do it. And you ask most people, hey, can you go move on your feet to Cleveland and make it there in X number of hours? The answer is no. They're not prepared mentally, physically, emotionally, none of it.
2: It doesn't you, you didn't have to put a timeline on
1: that. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> just just, to, do, it. just do it. So for me, a lot of that this pursuit has been to regain that kind of base, base ability that humanity got to this point on. We didn't, we didn't get to this point because we made smartphones. We got to the point where we could make smartphones because we had survived, because of our ability to endure and work. I mean, even, even look back 200 years, most people survived on manual labor. That was, mm-hmm. that was their gig in some way, shape or form. They were working the land, they were working on the land, they were soldiers. They were, I mean, it's just every occupation was built around physical exertion. Find me five occupations that are currently built around an appropriate amount of physical exertion to keep a human healthy. It's just, Mm -hmm. our world has changed to such a degree that I think you have to go out and make yourself human. If you want to maintain your ability to do things that your ancestors could.
0: Yeah. So that's a super interesting topic to me. Like what does the ideal, what do you call it? Exercise, whatever, what 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 do humans need to be able to do to live the longest, to be functional, have the highest quality of life? Where yeah. Where is that line? What is that? Uh, Cause you're right. I mean, th- I don't know if you've ever, there's a social media post floating around. I think it was squat university posted or something, but it was like an army position, a shooting position in the army was like this mm. deep squat where you're in a sitting in a deep squat with your elbows rested on your knees. That was a shooting position that they trained, like that was a, you know, this is one of the stable positions you can use. How many people can get into a deep squat and sit there for more than 10 seconds? You know, like, uh, and it's just the evolution of how we move. And now I'm seeing in in the rehab world, 10, 12 year olds that can't touch their toes, can't squat, can't, um, yeah, that, that progression just, it's, yeah. It's a little scary. Um it, from a it's from a movie standpoint. Scary. I
1: mean yeah. if you just take you take a three-year-old. So I mean, you've got you got newborn, uh newborn child and a new and a two and a half. Two? Yep, two and a half. Yep. So what's what's her squat look like?
0: Oh, she can do anything she wants. Yeah. Like her movement, she can
1: it nails it. Full
0: freedom. Yeah. Full freedom. It's
1: a problem we make for ourselves. Yeah right? We have all the capacity, we have all the tools, and then we sit down and we neglect them. Literally, we sit down and neglect Mm -hmm. them. And then all of a sudden, we wonder why our backs hurt when we move. And I think it's, I'm taking this to the extreme, for sure. I'm not doing it at a healthy level. I'm doing it at an extreme kind of investigatory level. I want to see how hard and how far I can push it. Mm -hmm. But I still think it's, it's reaching back to a base level of health that has just been forgotten about and right. granted i'm i'm overreaching and i'm probably creating some damage through this pursuit but i think in the long run mentally it's 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 helped me a lot with with things that i don't even know how to explain um, I, I, I you just feel I this sounds way too zen but when, when you've gone when you've gone and you you've pushed yourself for for hours you can't help but feel kind of zen after that like you just you mentally, physically, emotionally, you're in a different place because you've, you've gone through this effort and gotten out this energy in such a primal way. I, I don't really even know how to describe it. it. It's just something I've become very connected to.
0: I mean, uh, even after short workouts, like you you feel different, like your brain's clearer you know, your your thoughts are there. Um, so I can't, um, you know, I'm not doing five hour workouts, so I'm, I'm sure it's a totally different beast there.
1: Well, but it's different between the two. Like if I do a, if I do a seven minute high intensity workout, yeah, I I feel something after, but it's a very different feeling than than what I have going on mentally after a five hour endurance session. Um, and I, and I don't, I don't, I can't tell you what exactly, but Mm-hmm. it's different you have to you have to try both to start to understand w- what you feel and what you like
2: yeah. I think. i'm
0: gonna have to do some long longer rucks um that was kind of part of my plan anyway in the winter because what else are you gonna do right it's cold outside but you could r- like you throw some clothes on and go for a ruck um oh, wow. i wonder how similar <laughs> <to the>
1: choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, yeah i mean whatever <laughs> like if I go, if I go fishing for a day, I wonder how similar that feeling is. Like the clarity of like, like if you're out fishing and, and I don't get to do this as often as I used to, but where you're, you're there all day to where like, you're hungry, you're tired. You don't want to stand yes. anymore. Um, yeah.
1: but then it's, a just, lot more it's just human. a good
0: day. Yeah. It's just a good day. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You feel a lot more human when you, when you experience those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't even understand what hunger is anymore, Nick. Because yeah. eight feet away, there's something easy and already already ready to go in our mouth. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not something that we experience like humans ever has before. Well, that and, was. And the, still, I'm
2: sorry.
0: Uh, oh, I was just gonna say that was the one thing wearing that glucose the glucometer the the Libre mm-hmm. thing. You know, you're like, oh, I mean, pretty healthy and this and and like you're wearing the things, so you're paying attention a little bit, right? But the number of spikes per day, if you just if you're at home, like. I don't think even though I wasn't making bad food choices, like it was often right that you're getting these little mm-hmm. glucose spikes and you're getting these <laughs> insulin dumps. And you know, if you had to work for that food, you wouldn't be getting the frequency, right? No, you just wouldn't because it would
1: just you would wouldn't just be stand. available
0: to you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> There's such a large push yeah. of people preaching, like if you're not eating every three hours, then you're losing your muscles.
1: I think well, and you 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 should eat every three hours if you're actively on the move and doing a yeah. massive amount of work. Right. But if
2: you're just sitting at your desk and you there's no, no reason to take a snack break. No. <laughs> right. No,
1: none. Yeah. And I think
0: yeah. some of that gets lumped right back into that performance versus health, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, if you're trying to push to certain levels, then your nutrition's going to look a little different than if you're just hanging out at home, right? Like it's Yeah. so, yep. but the conversation gets so blended because ex-bodybuilder that's in the gym for six hours eats every three hours well mm-hmm. yeah but
1: and then that's the person who's on youtube that everybody saw the video of it's like oh well i gotta do that's that what
0: guy. he does yeah that's yeah. what if he, so he does that's what i'm gonna yeah. do well, but, he also
1: shoots up tests and is doing eight right. hours in the gym a day yeah, yeah it's it's we're talking about different animals and 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 yeah, different ideas
0: i think the standard american diet recommendations aren't like three meals a day plus one or two snacks like that's still you're consuming food four or five times a day, you know. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. Like, if if you're not I'd, training,
1: oh yeah, if you're not training, the standard American diet is a great way to end up with diabetes. <laughs> I mean, right. the,
2: yeah.
1: the way the way that that has been has been constructed, Nick, it it really is set up to put oh. people in a place where they have to rely on the medical system to keep them alive at that point. Yeah, that yeah. and the Half standard,
2: American, the standard yeah. American diet of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, are massive portions on top of it. So yeah. there's no reason to have those one or two snacks in between. Yeah.
0: Right. So uh, kind of getting back to our roots makes, it makes a ton of sense. And um, I've been doing the, the little more fasting and it's, it's certainly an interesting, like you yeah. think you're like, Oh, I'm going to be starving. And that might be true for a day or two, but
1: mm-hmm. you get a couple of days in and you get to fine. this state of, of mental clarity. So this is an interesting thing because um, it's something I played around with as I was prepping for my uh, race this last summer, the burning mm-hmm. river. And I played around with doing long distance fasted rucks. So I would. How I'd fasted? Be 24 hours plus. Okay. So I'd, I'd be, I mean, you know, at that point, I'm, I'm not carrying muscle glycogen. Mm. I'm, I've depleted that for sure. And now I'm down to running on what my body can process as I run. Well, I did a 20 mile ruck without any, without any food um, in my system. But didn't care any food, didn't eat any food. I just drank water and electrolytes. I was going to ask if you're
0: doing is, electrolytes.
1: Yeah, always electrolytes because I sweat a stupid amount. Um, mm-hmm. But the end of that ruck, I started to get to the point where I could feel things kind of starting to backfire on me. Um, and I, I think I, I ended up walking the last mile of it kind of as a cool down and kind of as an no oh shit, um, because <laughs> that was, that was four hours. It, was, it took me four hours and 20 minutes to do um, 20 miles with like 45 pounds on my back. So that, that pursuit though, I can tell you an hour into that, I was in this zone, this mental zone, and I did not come out of it until I got to that last mile. And I assessed and knew I had to change what I was doing, but I was in this state of kind of like mental clarity and awareness that you, you can't find unless you exert like that or unless you're fast and really doing both. I've never been in a state that was quite like that before. I've been in strange states fasting and I've been in strange states pushing endurance, but I haven't, I haven't had that unique combination of the two. It was, it was a very unusual um, clarity and high that I had for a long time.
2: When you're doing that, what kind of heart rate are you sustaining?
1: So that was, uh, I was trying to stay under 160 beats a minute and over 135. Um, So I guess that's zone three. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you're talking Mm -hmm. about, when you're talking about prepping to do something for 18 hours, you don't want to touch zone four. Yeah. Um, once you start doing that, then you start, at least I have found that if I start knocking on zone four, I end up with some hard physiological stops that come up. And I yeah. I every time I've done that, um, and it's been longer than a six hour event, I I have to keep myself
2: yeah, there, there's, there's, under that
1: 160, 165 beats a minute. The, Otherwise, there's
2: definitely major nutritional Differences between whether you're training at zone one versus zone two. Yeah. yeah, As as you go up. Yeah. That's going to change. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend doing sprint intervals that way.
1: No. And I wouldn't have, I would have had a very unproductive sprint session that fasted, but I had a phenomenally productive endurance session, which you would think the opposite, right? You, you, well, not necessarily the opposite, but you would think that you shouldn't go do, and you probably shouldn't go do a self-supported 20 mile rock, fasted but i also <laughs> we're had, not
2: recommending this people <laughs> I, I also had built up at that point.
1: And, yeah. and i actually i was carrying food i did have yeah. a backup so if i did have a real hard bonk i did have some some glucose i could toss right. in yeah um but it but it was like you don't know how that is going to go and what it does to you physically or mentally until you do it and mm-hmm. and it's just you got to go out and accept the discomfort and just just do it and yeah. and even just doing it, you have to be okay with it lasting three more hours because it took me the first hour to even get into that zone. And then I had the opportunity to use it and play with it for the next three hours. And that was the really cool part. But that takes commitment. It takes commitment and 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 right. a want to be in that place where you get to find things out about yourself.
2: Yeah. I, I hate to cut us off right now because this is a topic I actually really do enjoy, but Unfortunately, Nick, I need to go You're, treat somebody.
0: You have to do real work.
2: Oh, you I got a, you got somebody to send. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard the door slam because he's typically always... Yeah, called. I yeah. just
0: heard the door. Yeah. he's typically always at least five minutes late. But I
2: think, I think I he's know. here now. I think. I know who <laughs> is. Um, Nick knows. No, no, um. Anyway, <laughs>
0: well, this was good. We'll uh, we'll we'll cut this off. We'll uh, edit this out, and um, I'll do a little like intro since we didn't really yeah. do one, I'll do like, I'll just do a screenshot <laughs> yeah. talking about like our history and background and stuff. And then I'll go right into us just kind of rambling. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'll put, high, well, I'll talk about like the clips. We know.
2: never really picked a topic. I don't know. It was good though. And, and yeah.
1: like general fitness. I, I mean, yeah. I, I would love to also come back Nick and talk about specifically overtraining and yeah. uh, how I've, I've worked on that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, this was, I think, just kind of,
2: yeah, I overall. think this is a we hit, uh, it. yeah, yeah, hit some different I topics, but I think it's still good. A, new, a new part two on this one. Um, I mean, they're honestly Thursdays are, are is a great time for all of us to jump on, so let's okay. just plan to meet next Thursday.
1: Next Thursday, same time, yeah.
0: I'm gonna post this one, like, I'm gonna put it out, and then okay. if we want to do another one where we just literally talk i, I don't we uh, let's plan it out let's make an outline so that we don't yeah because otherwise the three of us are just going to ramble about whatever topic yeah yeah because mm-hmm. we can ramble well about
1: it i believe right.
2: i do have a 9 a.m person next thursday but we'll figure it out we'll yeah. okay. like do eight no you, Not, no you have we'll I figure it out yeah we'll, yeah. we'll get on. something booked.
0: cool all right i'll put this cool. one out and then we'll go from there
2: awesome
0: all right guys have a good day you
2: all right day. i'll talk good. to you